0: Welcome to the Pomona Christian Church podcast. Enjoy this message from our current series titled, David, the Life of a King, delivered by Lead Minister Marcus Allen. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at pomonachristian.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian. Well, one of my uh, favorite movies, especially as a kid, I was about nine years old when it came out, but it was uh, a movie with Harrison Ford, and it was Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I can tell you, when I was that age, that movie just blew me away. I loved that movie. I still like it. I don't know if it's one of those things like you thought it was awesome in its day, and today it's boring because my son doesn't like it at all. He says it's slow and it's boring, and I tell him it's still one of the best movies ever made. So we have one of those debates. But, in that movie, uh, there is a group, and it's always, you know, if you need a villain for every movie, it's the Nazis, you know, they pretty much fill the villain role in in many movies, and they wanted this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, because they thought if they got a hold of the Ark of the Covenant, they would win World War II and they would dominate uh, the world. Now. As you, if you've seen the movie, they find it, but it kind of backfires on them, and it doesn't work like that. Now, in the Bible, in the account we're coming to today, uh, previously the Ark of the Covenant had actually been captured by the Philistines, but then it had been returned and just kind of stored in, in a barn or, or some building. And that was before a man named Saul was made king. And after Saul comes David. So through this long period of time, instead of being in the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant is basically stored in this, in this building, in this town in Judah. So David, as we looked at last week, it takes a while, but he becomes king of all Israel. And one of the first things he does after that is there's one little city that has yet to be conquered in the promised land, and that city is Jerusalem. So David goes up, he attacks and conquers Jerusalem, and because of where it's situated and its position on the mountain, he decides to make that the capital, because it's well defended. And that becomes the capital, and that's why it's called the city of David, because it is the city that David had conquered. But one of the first things he wants to do as king in his new capital is bring the ark up and put it in the tabernacle Where it belongs. And basically, a tabernacle was a tent. And so that's what David wants to do. And I think it serves as a reminder of why David was chosen, why God chose him to be king to replace Saul. And if we jump back to 1 Samuel 16, it goes back to where God told the prophet Samuel to go anoint the man who was going to be the next king. And so he goes to the house of this man named Jesse. And it says in verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And so he thought, look at this guy. He's big. He's strong. This is the man who's going to be king. He's the oldest son. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or height or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, that ought to be encouraging because, you know, a lot of us aren't much to look at. But it says God looks past the surface. He looks at the heart. He can see beyond what other people see. He can see the whole picture. You know, we make surface-level judgments now, I know you young people at school, you know, maybe you can see people and you kind of make judgments based on their clothes or if they're good at sports or if they're popular, if everybody likes them, and you kind of make judgments. Adults, sometimes we can look at people by, well, maybe what kind of job they have or what kind of house they have or what kind of car they drive or accomplishments they've made in life, and we can do the same thing. Maybe it just changes, but this shows us that God looks beyond all of that, and God can see the heart. He can see the motives, the motivation. He can see the actions and what's really going on. But I think when we look at this account, we can see what it looks like that David had a, was a man after God's own heart, that he had a heart that pursued God. He had a heart that was moved by the things that moved God. So when we come to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and you can put that in your box that says uh, the passage today, we're gonna be, that's the whole chapter we're going to do. Verse 1 says, Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. So the ark was this golden box. In that box were the Ten Commandments, uh, some manna that God had provided the Israelites in the wilderness, and Moses had a brother named Aaron who had a staff, and that staff budded, and they stored that in the Ark of the Covenant, but that box was a reminder of God's presence and the promise that He had made them, and it was sacred, and it was to go to, in the most holy place of the tabernacle and later the temple. And so this ark has been sitting there. Now that's on the border of the Philistines, so when David goes down there, he also brings this large army, because David had also just beat the Philistines in many battles. And it says, "'They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the ark that carried the ark of God.' Ahiah walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. So you see there is this big procession as they bring the ark of the covenant to Jerusalem, this celebration and this worship. And it's interesting that the first thing David does, now that he has this capital city is he wants to move the ark to the capital because he wanted God to be central. He wanted him to be central to everything in the life of the nation, to the government, to his reign as king, to remind them of who they were and who God is. And we'll see later, I think it was in David's plans to build a temple, that he will ask to build a temple. So the first thing we can see in David's heart is this, that David puts God first. That's what it means to have David was a man after God's own heart, that God was first in David's life. In his life, in his worship as he wrote the Psalms, in his goals and his plans as king, God was central. And he sought what God wanted. And that's what a heart for God does. Grand, my grandfather passed away in Minnesota that he had been an elder in a small church for a long, long time. And as we were preparing, uh, for the funeral and getting things together, uh, someone said something that my grandma, my grandpa was a farmer and it didn't matter where he was at in the crops and in the harvest, whatever was going on, he would not miss worship. He said that one hour is not going to make a difference in the harvest or in the crops. And it didn't matter what happened, that he would stop what he was doing and made sure that he put God first in worship. See, what it means to give God first place, I think a lot of times we can ascribe God first place and we can list the proper priorities, but it's another thing to put God first, to where it shows up in our actions and in our schedules and in all those things. He said the, the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But one is the most important, because you can't do the second without the first, and that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a lot of times I don't think our problems, our weakness, our failures come from the fact that we don't love God, but often that He's not our first love. Or we allow the things we feel are urgent and pressing to replace what should be first and push God to the side. You know, it's one thing I'll see a lot of people list. A lot of times, you know, God, then family, and then third, maybe country or something else. But a lot of times the hectic things in life cause us to push aside our priorities and instead do the things that seem most important, most urgent at the time. Now you're here today, we're here today to worship because obviously you made the time to come in and to worship because this is important that we come together. Just as they did, David didn't just bring the ark up, he assembled a lot of people in addition to the soldiers because it's important to come together and worship and acknowledge who God is and what He does. So David, we can see even in this in his, king, in his kingdom and his role as the king that he is putting God first. But as they worship and as they head up, something happens, and it says, But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was roused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom. And his entire household. So we can see they're carrying on on this cart, and these oxen are pulling it. But something happens: the oxen stumble, and, and the men moving the ark. One of them, Uzzah, puts his hand against it, and he dies because this is God's presence. It was actually supposed to be under a cover. It was not supposed to be touched. It was clear in God's word. In fact, it said. They were supposed to carry this with poles, that there were rings on there that they were to carry with poles and keep it covered as they moved it. But I kind of think they thought, you know, Jerusalem is uphill, and it's a long way uphill, so why don't we just put this thing on a cart? We're going to do what we think. And they would have known this, or at least should have, because it says they that they need to carry it this way in case someone, so they don't touch it and die. It was clearly spelled out in their role as the people that served God in that way. But the oxen stumble. And I think later they're like, you know, have you ever found out what something's for and you never knew that? And you're like, oh, that's what that's for. I think they see the rings on the ark and they realize that. Now, one of my favorite memes is the you had one job. I don't know if you've seen those things. Well, here's a good one I like. We've got a picture of it on there. And it says, you know, you can see that's neatly stacked. And if you can read it from where you're at, it says, do not stack. You know, excellent job. You know, I mean, that's some great stacking, except it says, do not stack. You had one job, you know. And we've got another one. It says, the College of Architecture and Planning. And you see the C on the side of the brick. That could explain some architectural plans maybe you've seen in your life. It's like, you have one job. You know, their main job was to handle these sacred objects that God had designated for the temple but the ark of the covenant was the most central as it represented God's presence himself and where he would meet with the high priest once a year to forgive the sins of the of the Israelites but they did things the way they wanted they ignored God's word now here's the thing we can't faithfully follow without obedience we can't truly worship if we're not obeying in our life, you know, we have a lot of places that will claim to be a church or claim to be Christian, but they're deciding now that they'll do whatever they want with God's Word. They don't care if God's Word says this back then, we're going to do what we want. And our worship as we come together is also connected to our obedience when we're apart. You know, corporate worship is important, but also it's our daily obedience that is another form Of worship. You know, sometimes when the Israelites, they would worship idols, but they would also worship God at the same time, and they really weren't worshiping. That's why Isaiah said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That they might go through the motions of worship, but there wasn't the obedience that showed their heart. So when our heart is right, our actions will follow. Ecclesiastes 5, David's son Solomon says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. says we have to look at our lives. We have to examine our lives also as we worship. You know, if we only come together to study, to worship, but we ignore truth, we're missing the point. Meanwhile, while the ark is in the possession of this man, Obed-Edom, he and his house are blessed. And it says, then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. Now you guys, kids can write in your book, here's a word, maybe you don't know, it's called an ephod, E-P-H-O-D. Other translations will call that priestly garment, an ephod. And that is something that not just the priests, but the people working in the temple would wear. So David and all the people brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. So David gets this news that Obed-Edom is blessed, but this time, notice, they're carrying. The men responsible for handling the ark and bringing it back to its place are doing it the way God says to do it. So David worshiped. But this wasn't a show, David was just truly excited to bring the ark. And, and David, you know, he's more like a worshiper, he's just like one of the other people, one of the servants more than a king. Now, kids, I'm going to ask you a question and you can answer this out loud, but I'm going to ask this, kind of think I know the answer. So kids, are adults sometimes boring? Yeah, okay, oh, couple knows. okay, well that's fair. I'd say we'll go 90-10 on that, and that's being generous. Um, but yeah, you know, kids get excited about things. They, they live in the moment, and I think that's where David in, is in his worship. He's not worried that he's the king. He's out there leading the procession. He's worshiping. You know, when kids see a rainbow, they're just excited. You know, when we see a rainbow, you know, you know, kids may think there's a pot of gold I see a rainbow, and I'm kind of like, well, you know, the water particles are here, so that's reflecting, making the prism. And there probably isn't a pot of gold at the end, if I can even find the end. You know, when kids see a magician, they're excited. When I mean, adults watch, you know, kind of watching the hands and, and trying to figure out what's really going on. You know, when kids have ice cream, I mean, they're excited. Kids, are you excited about ice cream? Yeah. yeah see. You just say ice cream and, and kids are, are excited. You know, you let them eat the whole thing. They'll eat the whole thing. You know, a lot of times as adults, we get the ice cream and it's like, well, you know, what are the fat grams? What are the calories? I mean, it's just eat it. It's ice cream. You know, you live a little. Kids, they'll, they'll eat the whole thing. And, and that's where David is, is he's just singing, he's celebrating. And he takes off his royal robes, because he probably was wearing royal robes, and he puts on this ephod, which the, you know, the servants, they had about three layers of robes that they would wear of different lengths, and the outer robe was this ephod. Some of them kind of said that, oh, this is David in his underwear, but that's not the case. It would have been the outer robe that he probably threw on his other robes or, you know, whatever. But he puts these on maybe as a form of humility as a worshiper. It doesn't say why, but it's his humility and dedication to God. And it's just this, I think the purity of this moment is that as David brings up the ark, he's thinking about one thing. He's excited that the ark is coming to Jerusalem, that he's putting it where it belongs. That here he is with these people and he's worshiping. He's not thinking, you know, I'm the king, I need to be like this, and I need to act like this, and I can't be this exuberant. David just cuts loose with the people. But his greatest critic is watching. It says in verse 16, "...but as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window when she saw King David." When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. So if you read on it, says David brings, they bring the ark in, they put it in the tent or the tabernacle that was built for it. He makes sacri- more sacrifices. He gives all the people food. And then he goes home. And he runs into Michael who is looking down with contempt on everything that was going on. And it says in verse 20, when David returned home to bless his own family, so David's coming in this mood, he's ready to bless his family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. Now, David has two wives, and I would venture to say that Michael is not his favorite. You know, she was a daughter, she is a daughter of Saul, who David took the reign from, and David began a new reign instead of Saul's line. And Michael, I'm sure, sees everything David does in a negative light. And she looks out, she sees the ark, the party, she wants nothing to do with it. She sees David without his royal robes, behaving like a commoner, and She's ready to go with her sarcastic biting comment. How can he be acting like this? It's it's revolting. It is undignified. My father would have never done anything like this. And I think that's kind of the point. You know, sometimes people get so negative about someone or something, they can never see the good and they'll miss out on the good. And she's hiding her heart behind this criticism. Not all criticism, but some criticism is basically a way to hide what's really going on. It's not as much about what's going on as it is the heart of the critic. So David comes home in this great mood, just this wonderful day. There's this wonderful moment. He runs into Michael, and she's just a buzzkill. You know, she just ruins it right there. She couldn't worship, but she could judge, and she could look down, and she could see how everything ought to be and i think sometimes we can do that we see how worship should be and the way it ought to be and it, instead of just worshiping it says david retorted to michael i wasn't i was dancing before the lord who chose me above your father and all his family he appointed me as the leader of israel the people of the lord so i celebrated before the lord Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. Boy, David comes back with some hard truth. It's in fact God who chose me, not your father, to be king. And I'm ready to do more. In fact, those servant girls you look down on, they'll honor me the way they should. And so it says in verse 23, so Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Now I can imagine why, you know, uh, it's not hard to see. But two things we can grab from this. One is true worship seeks to honor only God and is purely concerned with that. That's what true worship is. It's not, as a believer, focused on what the world thinks about us, and I'm not just talking about our corporate worship, but our life of obedience to God, to following His truth despite what the world world says. Worship isn't just about what I like or about what I prefer, it's about giving praise and honor to God. And it doesn't mean it's out of control and it's attention-seeking, that's what not what David was doing, but he was pouring his whole whole heart out before the Lord. So that's the first thing, true worship seeks to honor God. Second is this. Obedience is worship. And when Saul disobeyed God, he received specific instructions. And one of the things he did that he wasn't supposed to do was that he kept some animals from a place they had conquered for sacrifice, and he wasn't supposed to do that. And so when Samuel the prophet comes to tell him the kingdom is being taken from his hand, he says, but I did obey. I was going to sacrifice these animals and Samuel says this, he says, to obey is better than sacrifice. That what's even more important than our worship that we do with our mouths is our obedience in our lives. That that's how we draw close to God. Worship draws us close to Him so we can examine our lives and we can look at the areas that we need to change. And so if you have one area of your life that you haven't surrendered, that you haven't given control of to God, then that's the step that needs to happen for worship to be pure and to be true. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian.